wrapping up. We're down to the last three weeks of the book of Ephesians. And I, I, I'd have to go back and look when we started this thing. I don't, I'm, I don't, what, spring? Uh, May? Do we start in May? Really? Been that long? Yeah. My uh, doctor is a Christian, and uh, every time I go to see him, which isn't often, but when I do see him, he goes, hey, you still preaching on Ephesians? I'm like, yeah, we'll be there for a while, buddy. Uh, anyway, so it's kind of a running joke with us now. So my next appointment, I'll get to tell him, hey, we got done. Uh, but anyway, we're in the book of Ephesians. And um, today, the section we're going to get at actually starts with the word finally. So Paul basically is now getting down to, okay, I'm going to wrap this thing up kind of uh, approach. And it's important that you understand uh, the, the, the foundation that he's built to get to what we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. And so he talks about who we are in Christ and, and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, what they did in, in giving us salvation and forgiveness of sins and adoption and redemption and all of those things. Chapter 2, that it's by grace. Chapter 3, that we're going to have difficulty. Chapter 4, that we walk worthy and, and as children of light. Chapter 5, that we learn to submit one to another and, and put somebody else before us. And then chapter 6, where he starts getting into this practical aspect of what does all of this look like in the end. So that's where we're headed. And this morning, we're going to get into a section that you've probably heard preached about before um, in regards to the Christian armor. Um, of God that, that, a, that a child of God puts on, but I'm hoping you see it in a little bit new light this morning because you put it in the context of chapters 1 through 5, okay? And, and that's the advantage of going through something like this is, is we have a lot of background to build on as we get to that. So Ephesians chapter 6, here's where we are this morning. Here's what he says, uh, starting off uh, verse, I think it's 10. Um, here's what he says, finally. So he's saying, okay, based on chapters 1 through 6, verse 9, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his, and, and, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So Paul starts this section out by saying, okay, we've talked about chapters 1 through 5, but here's what I want you to do now. I want you now to learn to be strong in the Lord. I want you to take what you have learned in these 5 and 6 chapters, and I want you to incorporate them into your life to give you the strength that you need to fight the battle that is in front of you. And he lays it out and he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Paul here lays out this idea for us that there is a battle that you and I have to fight as a Christian. We don't talk a lot about this. But you need to understand that every time you try to do something for God, there is an unseen world that is battling around you and I. There is a a spiritual battle, there is a spiritual warfare that is taking place around us. We don't see it. We're often not aware of it. But Paul's writing to people at Ephesus who were surrounded by this um, spiritualist, uh, dark witchcraft-oriented 
uh, kind of world. And they believed very strongly in the idea of this unseen world. This God battles that God who's more important than this God. So I'm going to. So they were very comfortable with this concept that there was a spiritual battle taking place on whose God was more powerful. And we kind of lose that today because we don't talk a lot about that. But Paul brings out this idea that there is a spiritual battle that is taking place that you and I really don't pay much attention to. And and I just want to challenge you this morning because it's a simple principle, but it's an important principle. And that's this. This is a spiritual battle, folks. It's not just physical. And you need to remember that. Um, And it is very real. It is very real. Um, We could get into this. A lot of people believe that All of these phrases that he has in here, like um, uh, rulers and authorities and powers of the dark world and spiritual forces and heavenly realm. A lot of people believe that this is actually the hierarchy of Satan's kingdom, which is an interesting concept. That even Satan's kingdom has order. That there is, a, there, is a, there is a way that Satan works and sends certain groups of, of influences to do certain things in certain people's lives. So Paul said, look, because that's happening, you need to stand. You need to be firm. Now, here's the thing. Most of us don't like conflict. We talked about this in Sunday school. We run from conflict. Because in our world, conflict means um, absence, or peace means absence of conflict. So for many of us, we think peace means I don't have any conflict in my life, and it's just the opposite. Real peace is learning how to manage and resolve the conflict that is going to exist in your world. You know, real peace in a marriage is not, okay, we're just not going to talk about it. Real peace is we can, fig- we can figure out how to get through it and work it out. That's real peace. And Paul says, if you're going to be involved in the Christian life, you need to learn that this is a battle, that it's real, that there are spiritual forces at work, and that Satan wants, he has one goal, to destroy your life this week. To get you discouraged, to get you to quit, to get you to focus on the negative. He has one goal, and that is to undermine how you function this week. When Jesus talks about Satan, he says he is the... He is a liar and the father of lies. He's, it, it's said that Satan has three main purposes. Steal, kill, destroy. You want to know what he wants to do in your life this week? He wants to rob you of things that God wants for you. Steal. Kill. He wants to destroy things in your life that will be healthy for you. He wants to destroy healthy relationships. He wants to destroy healthy work environment. He wants to destroy anything that is of benefit to you because his goal is to hurt you and destroy. He wants to ruin everything in your life this week he can ruin. He is not your friend. And Paul said because that's the real world that you and I live in, you better learn how to stand in that kind of world if you're going to make a difference for God. As he talked about in chapter 5, if you're going to walk as light, if you're going to walk worthy of the way that God has called you and what he has done, you're going to need to learn how to really stand and stand 
firm as Satan unleashes stuff at you all week long. So that's what Paul's saying as he gets into this passage. And he wants to remind us that, look, it is a real, real battle. So look, don't be surprised when you're attacked this week. Don't be surprised when you go into work and it don't work the way it's supposed to work. You got people mad at you. You got people upset at you. Don't be surprised when, when, when you think it should go this way and it goes that way. It's a battle. And if you haven't learned, what you need to learn is one of the ways that you, when you go into battle, one of the things to do is to understand your enemy and understand what resources you have. And that's basically what we're going to get into the next two weeks. This morning, we're going to talk about what it is that you put on, three things that you put on. And then next week, we're going to talk about three things that you take up. And so Paul says, look, you need need to be prepared for this. In order to be prepared, there's some things you need to know, some things you need to put on, some things you need to take up. Um, Years ago, I I still love doing it. I just haven't done it in probably 10 years. Um, when paintball was new, I used to play paintball, okay? Now, for those of you who are paintball historians, um, I started with the original Splatmasters, okay? That was the 10-ball pistol with CO2 cartridge, okay? That's, that's where we started. And I don't know, you know, paintball has a history in farming, see? You know, because that's how they used to mark cattle is beep. They'd mark them with the little paint things. Okay, that's how the whole thing kind of started. Then we figured out people are more fun to shoot than cattle, so we started shooting at each other. So anyway, so then we got in. So I we evolved all the way up, and when we came, by the time I had played for a while, they were coming out with semi-automatic and automatic paintball guns and all this kind of thing. And my kids, I got my kids into it because. Um, it was kind of fun to shoot your kids with paintball. Honestly, it was like, it's so, so cathartic. I mean, I, you know, I never forget when my youngest, Josh, wanted to play. He wanted to play, and I said, Josh, it really hurts when you get hit. I said, I think you're too young. And he goes, I can handle it. I can handle it. I'll never forget when I drove in the driveway one day. Josh is standing there like this, and Jimmy is standing there with a paintball gun going, okay, are you ready? So he could shoot him so he could know what it felt like so then he could come and play with us. So anyway, but... Um, it's like, you know, older brother gets to shoot younger brother with a paintball gun. How awesome is that? But anyway, it got to the point that you have to understand, I, I like old school stuff. So I did old school. So when I played paintball, um, I would walk out. On the, I had a, a SL-68-2. It, it was a pump gun. I, got, I had a big hopper on it, but I, I, I always played with my little 40-round hopper on it. And, and so the kids always thought, you know, bigger was better. And so the kids started getting into these semi-automatics. So they come out with these 200-ball hoppers, and they come out with these packs on the side with 100 extra balls and an extra CO2 deal. Some of them put two CO2 deals and hooked the tube up over it, so it was like boom, 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 boom. And so they found out that I played, and they're like, oh, old guy. 40 balls. He walks into the field with 40 balls. That's insane. He is a sitting target. So they made the mistake of asking my kids if I would play with them. I was always up for a game of paintball. So I would say yes, and here's the thing. They put all of their confidence in the fact that they could shoot a lot of balls and they could cover a lot of area. So 
they weren't really, they didn't take a lot of time in what shot they were going to take and how they were going to take the shot and what their cover was and what they were going to do next. They'd just get in an area and sit there and go, that's all they would do. And then they would reload it and they'd keep doing that. I got 40 shots. So I'd hunker down and I'd wait. And I'd wait. And I'd stick my little head up like a little gopher. And I'd go, boop. Where did it come from? Where did it come from? I don't know. Who is it? Then I go, pop my little head up and go, boop. And I'd hear, out. The walk about, where did it come from? I don't know. I don't know where he is. I didn't hear it. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Then I would move. And I would sit. And I would wait. And I'd wait till I knew where some kid was. He's doing this. And I'd pop my little head up and go, boop. Out. It got to the point that I became such a target. Because I even went and made a silencer for my gun. So it even got worse. They didn't even know where I was then. And they see me walk out with this odd little, you know, little 40 ball hopper and this big long gun and stuff like that. And, 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 and we would do that. And it got to the point the kids would call and say, their friends would call up and say, hey, we're going to play paintball on Saturday. Can you come? Yeah, 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 I'll be there. You know what the next question was? Can you bring your dad? <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Here, here's the thing. What I did was... When I understood how they played and I understood what I had as my advantages, I was able to go in and play effectively, even though I, I could have gotten all the equipment they had, but I didn't want to do that. And it's the same way as Satan. We are up against a powerful enemy who has lots of opportunities that can do lots of things, but we have God on our side. And we can be far more effective if we understand our enemy and we understand what assets we have to depend on and we go in. So I would take little advantages like I made a silencer. You know, I looked into the ghillie suit thing. You don't know what those, I mean, you know, we had a guy from Sioux Falls that would come down and he would play. And honestly, this guy was so well concealed. I remember games where at the end of it, we go, okay, game called. And, and, I, and you're walking back, and he's like from here to there, and all of a sudden he stands up, and you're going, oh, you know, I had no idea what I was walking into. And, and, and it's the same way with Satan. You have to be aware of what he's doing. It's a spiritual battle, so Paul lays that out. Here we go. And, and, and notice what he says. Um, going to the next uh, passage, guys. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second. You need to understand, Paul's in prison. He's in Rome. He is under house arrest. What that means is he basically has a Roman soldier with him pretty much 24-7. It's kind of like a, a living ankle bracelet kind of thing. Um, and so let me give you a couple of pictures, throw up some of these pictures. These are ideas of Roman soldiers in the first century to kind of give you an idea. This is, this is kind of a standard Roman soldier garb. Uh, next one is, a, is actually a picture of a, a, a praetorian guard. This would have been somebody who was... Uh, around the palace and that kind of thing. Uh, here's a picture of the different parts that were typical of, uh, of what a soldier would wear. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about the belt, the shoes, and the breastplate. Uh, the belt, as you can see, wraps around this, covers up um, the very, very sensitive area that, that you didn't want hurt. 
the breastplate covers everything from basically the waist to the neck on front and back. And then the shoes. There are different kinds of shoes. The sandals are pretty much what somebody who, was, who, who had to be in battle and had to move very, very quickly, that's what they would wear. Uh, a lot of times the boots were, if they, if they were in a more treg, uh, rugged terrain, or if they were in, say, a palace where it was more dressy and showy kind of thing, uh, that kind of thing. Often the sandals, believe it or not, they had little nails uh, in, in, in the bottom of the shoes, kind of like cleats, so that they could move very, very quickly uh, and, 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 and efficiently. So this is, kind of gives you an idea. Now, going back to that, this is what Paul would have seen every day. He would have seen a guy dressed like this every single day. So it's an easy analogy for him to go to. And here's what he says. He says, um, put on the full armor of God. And by the way, the order that he lists it is the order that they would have gotten dressed. Okay? So there, there, there's a reason that there's that order. Um, he says, so that you may be able to stand your ground, and after that you have done everything to stand. Four times Paul emphasizes this idea of standing, not being, not being moved, knowing what you, you do. And here's what he says. Stand firm then with the belt of truth tucked around your waist. The first thing that he deals with is this idea of truth. The belt, the, the, the belt was the first piece that they put on because everything tucked in it, and it held everything together. So what they would do is they would, they would strap up that belt. If you, if you know of anybody in law enforcement or anybody that carries a weapon, a, a belt like with a weapon, um, one of the things that you'll, you'll, you'll find is when they get ready to go do their job, it's, it, they put that on. That's their, that's, that's their weapon deal. When they come home to relax, it's one of the first things they take off. Um, you know, they secure their weapon and they take off that, the whole belt kind of thing. The idea is that if you were going to go into battle, the first thing that you do is put that belt on, get everything nice and tight so you could tuck stuff in, so you could get everything so it all held together. So what Paul is saying is the one thing that holds everything together if we're going to fight Satan in that unseen world is truth. And truth is very, very important. Um, when we talk about this idea of truth, if you'll think about it for a minute, Jesus Christ, it's said of him, John says of him, he was full of grace and truth. When Jesus Christ in John chapter 17 is praying for us, the great intercessory high priestly prayer, when, when Jesus is praying for us, he says, Father, sanctify them with thy word. Thy word is truth. This issue of truth, of knowing and basing your life on God's word is so important to understand. I think there's, in all of these, I think there's two aspects. There's a God aspect and there's an us aspect. The God aspect is the fact that God is truth, and you've got to base your life on something, and you better base it on what God says. Truth that doesn't change. Truth that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then it's the idea of we need to be truthful people. We need to reflect truth. If, if our lives are based on the truths of God and, and, and God and God is truth, then we need to be truthful people. We need to be the kind of people that are trustworthy, that are honest, that, that are people of integrity. And Paul deals with this idea. He says, look, if you're going to fight Satan, he said, you better know truth. You better know what the Bible says and you better know why you believe what you believe. And I think that is so important. I'm going to talk about this in a... Well, let me talk to... Let me t- if you're in high school college, or just graduated from college, let me, let me talk to you for a second. You are being taught that truth is relative. You are being taught that, that, that truth 
for you is not necessarily truth for me. You're being taught that if that's what you believe, that's okay, that's your truth, I can have my own truth. That's what you're being taught. You need to understand this. You build your life on that philosophy, or you go through life with that philosophy, you will have nothing to stand on. You see, at some point, because here's what's happening, and I don't want to get into the philosophical part of this, but what you have decided is that truth is going to be based inside of you, not outside of you. And the second you start saying, I am the one who judges whether or not something is true, now everything is in flux. There is nothing solid. Everything has the ability to, so what's wrong today is okay tomorrow. Biblical truth, here's a, here's a simple test for biblical truth. It applies to every culture, every, throughout any time in history, to all people. If you are being taught something that's, quote unquote, the Bible, but you can't apply it to that, then it's not biblical. I'll just tell you that right now. We're in a world right now where one of the, one of the, one of the beautiful things that everybody's talking about is this, this prosperity gospel thing, that God's, that God's in heaven just wanting to bless your socks off. That sounds good if you are in 2019 living in America. Try preaching that in a third world country and tell me how that goes over. You know? Try, try preaching to somebody who doesn't have enough food for a meal for the day that God's just there to bless your socks off. It doesn't fly, and it doesn't fly because it's not biblical, okay? One of the things, and you have to understand that. You have to sit back and go, what is truth? Hey, by the way, was that not what Pilate asked Jesus? What is truth? This is essential. That's why Paul's saying. This keeps it all together. So for me, as a teenager, when I was a kid, I just simply said this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe what God says is true, whether I agree with it or not. It happened before me, but there used to be a saying, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Okay, you understand that's not biblical thinking? God said it, that settles it. (laughs) We don't care if you believe it or not. If God said it, that's the way it is. And so this is what we're saying, truth. You've got to know what it's based on. And be very, very careful of making truth relative. Because this is what Paul's saying. He's saying it keeps it all together. And then he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Um, he goes on to say, um, stand belt of truth around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place. The, the, right, the breastplate protected you from the back and the front, from the neck to the waist. All the vital organs were protected with the breastplate. What Paul is saying here is this idea that you have to understand that the righteousness of Christ is what will protect you as you get ready to battle Satan. Let me explain it to you. The Bible says that we are, we are not righteous, we are all sinners. So this is how God sees us if we don't put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When he sees us, he sees our sin. The Bible says Jesus came to this earth to die for our sins, to, to basically swap out our sin for his righteousness. So what happens is, The righteousness of Jesus Christ, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is now applied to my life. So now when God in heaven looks down upon me, what does he see? 
the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see me. This protects me to understand it is not about what I do for God to make God happier with me. It gives me the opportunity to realize God sees me in Christ. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to my life. So I don't need to go around and say, God's not, you know, God doesn't love me. God does, God's angry with me. God doesn't, you know, how could God let that happen to me? I, I don't, why? Because I, when God sees me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He protects everything that's essential to life for me. I am sourced in Christ. And what Paul is saying is, if you're going to go into battle, you have to understand, this isn't about what you can do. This is about what Christ has already done. You don't need to go do something in order to make God happier with you. You can't make God love you anymore. You can't make God do anymore. You're in Christ. And Paul writes to these people and says, look, if you're going to fight a spiritual battle out there, you better have it based on truth, and you better understand you are righteous in Christ. Going out trying to get brownie points with God doesn't exist. You're in Christ. You can't get, God can't be any more pleased with you than at this point. And that's what Paul's laying out for us. He's saying, look, it is a battle, and you've got to realize you're in Christ. Yes, Satan is going to fight, and Satan's going to try to undermine you. And Satan's, and by the way, one of the, one of the uh, uh, names for Satan is adversary. You know what Satan's job is all week long? Hey, that's why Paul says, he wants to see you in Christ. Hey, remember when you did this? You know what you did yesterday? How can you call yourself a Christian when you're doing this? Huh? 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 How come? Huh? 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 What do you mean you're going to live for God? Huh? 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 You can't do that. You're a hypocrite. How dare you do that? How dare you say that you're going to live for God? Nah! Don't you remember what you did last week? Don't you remember this? Don't you remember that? Hey, 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 hey. Paul says, look, if you're going to fight that battle... When Satan, starts doing, when Satan starts doing this to me, I start going, sorry, bud. I'm not going to focus on what I've done. I'm going to focus on what Christ did for me. you got a problem. You took it up with Christ. Is this making sense to you? Because this is so important that we understand this. That's why he spent all of these chapters, that's why he spent particularly chapter 1 saying, this is what God did for you, this is what the Holy Spirit did for you, this is what Jesus Christ did for you. Stand knowing that stuff. And don't let Satan push you around. Then he gets into this last thing, which I think is just interesting. And your feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Some versions say preparation of the gospel of peace. It's twofold. One has the idea of readiness, um, and one has the idea of the gospel, uh, or it has the idea of, of readiness with the gospel, and one has the issue of peace. There's twofold. I want to talk about them separately. One is the gospel, and one is the issue of peace, which I think it's fascinating that he brings up peace when he talks about how to fight. Okay, but here, here we go. Hang on to this. Paul, if you haven't figured this out yet, you're too young. You will one day. Um, Your shoes make a big difference in your life. 
And your feet become incredibly important, and the foundation that you put under your feet become incredibly important for your physical health, the way that you walk, all those kinds of things. Um, and I live through, and they're coming back, Crocs, remember those? Um, you know, those ergonomically divine things. Um, and I know they're coming back, and that, that's okay. Um, if I ever die with a pair on, you will know that somebody did that. I did not. Um, but anyway, you have this thing. That your feet, your, your, your shoes, what you wear, give you the foundation for, um, for, your, for, for, for the way to stand. So shoes are important. And, and in this culture, they were mainly sandals or, or boots that, that they would use as they went into battle. So they, they, they give you the ability, depending on if they had boots, it was because it was terrain, difficult terrain. If they had sandals, it's because they needed to move quickly. They adapted their feet to whatever it was that they were trying to do. And Paul here talks about this. He says, one of the things that you need to understand that you, that you have put on is you put on truth. You put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you, on your feet, he talks about this idea of you have the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, this is where I want to hammer this home because some of you are going to get really uncomfortable. But if I'm right and, and, and I'm right by the Bible, then you need to deal with you and God. Okay? We're in a world today in which the gospel's gotten pretty muddy. We're in a world today where they say, you know what? I, I mean, you know that whole heaven hell thing? Mm. We're in a world where we kind of look at it and go, well, you know, you can just believe whatever you want to believe about God, and as long as you're sincere, then it's okay, and as long as you try to be a good person and don't do anything really bad, then God's going to be okay with you. And there's not really not a thing like hell, you know, hell's like this figment kind of thing. There's just like heaven for all the wonderful people, and, and, and the other people just kind of go away. we got all these kind of bizarre ideas. So I want to make very, very clear what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the idea that God looked at you as a sinner. You were born in your sin, the enemy of God, who was destined to be separated for all of eternity apart from God because God is of purer eyes than to behold sin. Adam had to leave the garden. Eve had to leave the garden because of their sin, because God could not be together with them anymore. So God took them out of the garden. God, the, 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 from Genesis, Genesis, the beginning of Genesis, the idea is sin separates, sin destroys. And so God looking at us said, they can't clean their lives up enough to spend eternity with me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to willingly pay for their sin. I'm going to become human flesh. I'm going to wrap myself in human flesh. I'm going to come to the earth. I'm going to spend 33 years. I'm going to humble myself, even at a point of death, because I'm God. I don't need to die, but somebody has to die and pay the price for their sins. So I will shed my blood. So Jesus Christ, God, leaves heaven, comes to earth, humbles himself in ways that you and I cannot even imagine in order to offer a salvation. He spends 33 years here. He willingly goes to a cross. They do incredibly horrible things to him before they, they actually crucify him. He finally takes his last breath willingly. They put his body in a tomb. Three days later, he comes out showing that death doesn't win over him. 
that he has power, that he has the ability to forgive sins, he has the ability to conquer death, he has the ability to conquer Satan. And he wins. Then he allows you to be born. And for every day that you get to exist on this planet, every time your heart beats, God says, here's a gift, you can have it. All you got to do is put your faith and trust in me. So every day your heart beats is another opportunity for God to say, here, 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 here. Every time your lungs fill up with air, here, 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 here. And in some cases God does that for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Every breath, every heartbeat, God's going here, here, here. It's all yours. All you got to do is take it. Trust me. And for that 60, 70, 80, 90 years, or however long you have on this earth, every heartbeat and every breath, you say, no, going to do it my way. Don't believe that. My truth is right. Your truth is not. I don't think it's that big a deal. I don't think there's a real heaven. I don't think there's a real hell. I think I can get there another way. And you stand before God like this, having spent a lifetime rejecting this. You really want to tell me that God, who went to all of that love and did all of those things for you, is going to say, "Mm, I'll give you a pass. Come on in. When, When he was on this earth, he said, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. There is no way to God but through me. All of his other sincere people, they're wrong. All of his other people are putting their confidence in all of this other stuff, they're wrong. You know how I know they're wrong? Because my Savior said he was the only way. And it is important that you and I understand the gospel is that Jesus Christ offers this to us. And the only way to be assured of a solid foundation for your life is to make sure the gospel is personally yours. And in that case, now you have the righteousness of Christ applied to your life. And you are now in Christ. So now when I stand before God and I take my last breath, do you accept me now? Yeah. Because of me? No, because of Christ. It's the gospel. And Paul writes to these people and says, look, you need to make sure that you understand that it is in Christ alone. Christ plus nothing. It is all about Jesus Christ and whether or not you or I have put our faith and trust in him alone. When you have that as a foundation for your life, Then as you walk through this world, really, what do you fear? What? I mean, mean, what is it? When I come up against Satan, and Satan tries to kill, still destroy things in my life, I look at the power that I have in Jesus Christ. Because he didn't kill Jesus Christ. He didn't destroy him. He didn't have power over him. Christ won. And I have that kind of confidence so that as I battle that that unseen world, I'm like that guy with a 40-ball hopper. I may not look that impressive, but 
I have something that you don't have. I have a skill set and ability. In the case of a Christian life, I have Christ. So I may not look that impressive. You just don't know what's behind what God has done in my life. Paul says in that way you can go out. And he talks about this idea of the gospel of peace. Paul later is going to talk about this idea of peace. He's going to talk about two kinds of peace. He's going to talk about peace with God and peace of God. Peace with God is when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and now I'm no longer his enemy. We now have peace. He's my personal Lord and Savior. That's the peace with God. Because I have peace with God, I can have the peace of God. Which means that no matter what comes in my life this week, good, bad, ugly, I know that God will get me through it. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but I know I don't have to go it alone. I know that whatever doctor report comes down the tube or whatever happens at work or whatever happens in my family or with my spouse or whatever else happens in my, whatever bill I get this week that I don't know how to pay, I have a God who can say, you trusted me for your salvation. Trust me for your life. It'll be okay. And I have that foundation that I have put on that as stuff comes, I have the ability to deal with it. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the idea of before you take things up, which we're going to talk about next week, you have to put some things on. You have to make sure that you understand the truth of the Word of God in your life. It's not about what you think, it's about what God says. You have to understand that it's about the righteousness of Christ that's been applied to your life. Not about the righteousness that you're going to try to do to make God happy. And you have to understand that it's about the gospel. That God loved you and I so much that he offered free to us, at great cost to him, eternal life. If you want to go through your life and put your faith and trust in something else, go ahead. It will break my heart that you can hear something like this, that God can work in your heart, and you can still say no. But that's between you and God. I don't have to live with the consequences of your choices for eternity. I live with the consequences of my choices for eternity. I put my faith and trust in Christ. It's the one thing I did not want to do, to stand before him and say, I think I'm good enough. You say, I just can't believe there's a heaven, or I can't believe there's a hell. Then you know what? You can't believe in a heaven either. It's pretty silly to choose one over the other. I can go into the whole philosophy and theology of it, but the whole world is a world of opposites. Positive, negative. Sun, moon. Day, night. The whole world's got this and that. And you want to tell me that there's only this? Don't work like that. And so I want to challenge you to make sure your life is sourced in Christ. And as you go out of here, you understand that your faith and trust is in Christ alone. So I end with this. I end this morning with this idea of the fact that the Christian life is a battleground. 
We are surrounded by an unseen world that is fighting for our hearts and minds. Paul challenges us to stand firm in truth, in righteousness, and our security in Christ. The world must see Christ in our lives this week as we walk a path God has laid out. May they see Christ as they look at us. Let's pray. Lord, as we head into this week and we leave this place, Lord, it is so easy for us to go by the things that we've kind of gone through all of our lives and our faith and trust is in something else other than you. Lord, we've kind of made truth relative and we've made the issues palatable to us. But Lord, the reality of it is you said I'm the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to you. No one comes to the Father but through you. Lord, if there are people here this morning that have not put their faith and trust in you, Lord, would you help them to seek out people who can explain it to them? Would you help them to look at your word? Would you help them to understand, Lord, what you clearly, clearly teach? Lord, for those of us that have our faith and trust in Christ, Lord, it's so easy sometimes to get weary in battle, to get weary of doing the right thing, of watching Satan get an advantage in different areas of our lives. Just help us, Lord, to stand firm to wrap our minds and our hearts around the fact of what you have done for us and that, Lord, um, you can give us the power that we need and the strength that we need, Lord, to stand. And as things get worse and worse and worse, that, Lord, we just stand stronger and stronger and stronger. Use us this week. And, uh, Lord, help us as we go throughout this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen.